Great to be with you all this morning. I am Claude, and me and uh, my wife Meredith, who is just up here leading worship, are the lead pastors here at Centerway. And I want to welcome you all. Excited to see all of you this morning. It snowed this morning, in case you didn't see that. It changed my life. Maybe you were fine with it. Um, but uh, we're going to continue in, uh, in this morning's uh, series. It's called Consider the Source, and this morning's message is entitled Motives of the Heart. Motives of the heart, and um, what we're doing really is it's a, it's a series in the first uh, six chapters of First Corinthians, and so this morning we're actually going to be uh, in chapter four, the first part of that, verses one through thirteen. And so if you uh, have that app and you want to follow along, or if you have a physical Bible, uh, or if you have um, some way of following along, you can. I'm going to go ahead and read those first thirteen verses. So let's do that together. It says this, uh, the Apostle Paul's the author uh, of 1 Corinthians, and he's writing a letter to a church in Corinth. And so this is what Paul writes. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment. I just touched my screen and so it jumped like 15 verses. Sorry about that. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light all things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his, his <laughs> commendation, commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you will be maybe puffed up in favor of one against another, or who sees any, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, how do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. And we'll find this is kind of some uh, kind of biting irony that, that he's speaking to them. So his tone is kind of, hey, you already got everything you want, right? Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And with that, you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. So he's kind of giving him a little jab there. We'll talk about that. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, when rivaled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. It's hmm. a nice way to end. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to create some margin in our lives, to come to this place, and to hear from you. And so we pray that that takes place this morning, that we hear from the living God. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word that you would challenge our hearts and our lives, that we would leave here not simply attending a service, but having encountered you. In your name we pray, everyone said, amen, amen. So um, there's a, 
There's a lot of examples I thought of this morning as I considered this text of what it looks like to kind of gather and want more. And I just kept going back uh, to one moment that's kind of paramount. It's uh, in the life of one of my children. Um, They all went through phases where they kind of gathered stuff and wanted stuff and wanted more of things. And uh, one time in particular that dawned on me is uh, one of my daughters uh, really wanted to collect purses. Like it was just her thing to collect purses and bags. And so she would uh, carry them and she'd put them on her arms um, to ridiculous fashion. And she would say, mo, mo. And then she'd go and grab another one and mo, mo. And so that's more in case you don't speak little kid. Um, <laughs> like who's this guy mo and why does she want to carry him? Uh, anyway, <laughs> Welcome to Moe's. I don't know why I did that. Um, I don't know. Adult set on ADD. I'm not sure. I didn't even say it right. I stumbled over that. It's going to be a fun one. I'm ready to lean back. So anyway, um, she would just, more purses, more purses. And she would get to the point where her tiny little arms were like struggling and she'd be holding onto them and she'd walk across, put them on her arms and shoulders. And so her older sister uh, had a birthday. And so in part of her birthday present was a two-wheel bike. And so it had training wheels and stuff, and it was kind of set up in the dining room. And she was going through one of her more phases because, of course, her sister had just been given a gift. And so she wanted more purses. And so she's got, she's loaded down with purses, and she walks up to this bike, and she's looking at it. And she's literally looking up to the seat because of her height. And she's looking up at it, and she goes, mine. And uh, like, no, 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 that's not yours. And she's sitting there way down. She's like, hmm, Mine. My, and she starts to scale this thing like, you know, Godzilla on the side of the Empire State Building. She's, she starts climbing this bike. I'm like, hun, what are you doing? You can't, don't get on that bike. And she's like, mo, mo. I'm like, no, no more. You can't possibly do this. And she gets up on top. And so I'm going towards her. And it's kind of one of those parenting moments where you're trying to move as quickly as you can, but it's just not working out. And as you get there, uh, it's kind of too late. And that's exactly what happens. She gets up on the top of this bicycle. And just as she crowns the seat in her wobbly way with both of her arms way down, it was a moment of impressive nature. Like (laughs) my child just scaled this two-wheel bicycle with purses hanging off her arms. She goes, mine. And then the bike just starts to fall. like, no. (laughs) run over and and grab her. And uh, the reason I I share that story is because I think it's a glimpse into every one of our hearts. We always want more. And so the question I want you to consider is why do we always want more? Why? Why do we always want more? Our desire for more, I believe, is linked to our opinions of ourselves and the opinions that others have of us. Our desire for more is really connected to our need to be viewed as valuable. Bear with me as as we kind of unpack that, but it's connected to our sense of worth. We want more because we want to feel valuable to ourselves. We want more because we want others to look at us and say, they're valuable. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so I want to submit to you this morning that this is a human issue, not simply a church person issue. It's not simply a church person issue. We have a fascination and a need for more. You may be tempted uh, tempted to think that what I'm talking about here is more stuff. I mean, especially given the illustration that I gave, right? You might be thinking like, well, I don't know that I want more stuff. Like, I'm not sure that that's actually true per se. But I'm not talking simply 
about more stuff, although that might be some of our vices this morning. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, no, I just, I actually want more stuff. So nail on the head, you got me down. But how about this? I think the conversation goes deeper. I want you to think, do you want maybe more friends? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where, where you want more money, right? <laughs> I don't want to see a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you went and bought a lottery ticket this week. <laughs> like, it's over a billion with a B. Like, I heard a woman in a huge line in Wegmans. It was a huge line waiting for lottery tickets. She's like, B, billion with a B. I'm like, okay, holy smokes. Like, she's like pulling out $1 bills. She's like, I'm buy me 50, you know? Here's the irony of it, right? The higher the lotto gets, the more people buy. The more people buy, the lower your chances get. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Nobody thinks about the logic. They just want more. I just want more. And if there is more, I want to hear more about how I get more. So maybe it's about more friends. Maybe it's about more money. Maybe you're sitting there saying, no, I am, I am so holy, Pastor. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I don't want more money or anything. I want more of nothing. Would you like more sleep? <laughs> yeah, all the parents are like, amen, hallelujah. Some of you are like, I want nothing more. And then I'm like, how about more naps? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> more alone time? More dessert? <laughs> you want more of something. You can think you're removed from the conversation, but you're not. Every single person in this room, if you're human, you want more of something. And listen, if you're super spiritual, you came here this morning, you're like, you got like a 20 pound Bible under your arm, like the family edition that used to sit on a table, you know? And you're like, no, all I want more of is God. I just want more of God. Now listen, that's a great answer. It's an awesome answer. It's probably one you're compelled to say when in church. Um, but even those of us that want more of God, and it's a sincere response, so I don't mean to make light of that reality. I think there's some people in this room that really that is your desire, more of God. Are you really trying to say, though, that you wouldn't take a little more respect? That you wouldn't take a little more love? You see, it's not a conversation that has a spiritual answer. It's a human fallen condition issue. We want more. And the people of the church in Corinth had the same struggle. In fact, to understand this morning's text in context, the Corinthians wanted to be people of status. In fact, to stabilize their own position of importance, they would cast judgment on others, including the Apostle Paul. Like, they actually accused him of not being as eloquent of a speaker as others. It's kind of funny that I mispronounced that. <laughs> and so they even judged him. In verse 1 here, it says, This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Servant and steward. Servant and steward. Paul is saying that leadership in Christendom, in the church's universal, is the opposite of what they, Corinth, and us today, so wrongly pursue. Instead of a posture of more and status and greatness, an attitude of servant and stewardship. You see, the Greek used here means trusted helper and estate manager. 
that were called to be a trusted helper and estate managers. He's engaging their minds so that he can use the logic to address the issue of their heart. And so he goes on in verses three through four, Paul says this, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. In other words, I, I don't know of any wrong, but here's the deal. There might be something I'm not right about. And then he says, he ends that verse, it is the Lord who judges me. Only an owner can judge. So if you put your mind into the context of an estate manager, and all of a sudden we are stewards of what it is that God has called us to do, then really the owner is the only one that can judge. And make no mistake, God will judge all of us. So as trusted helpers and estate managers, our role is to do the will of the owner, which means we have to stay in conversation with the owner to get clarity because the owner's opinion is the only one that matters. So I wanna tell you this morning, the only opinion that matters in your life is God's. That's it. So listen, there should be a sense of liberation from others' judgment. But here's the other piece. God knows our motives. God knows our heart motives. So before you say like, mm, amen, brother, listen, no one can judge me. You can't judge me. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. Like, you can't judge me. He just can't judge me. Like, really? All right. God will. God will. And so we're, we're called, and Paul actually talks about this idea of entering into accountability and uh, spiritual connection with others that do have a right to speak into your life. But right now he's saying, listen, we can't cast judgment on something that is God's responsibility to cast judgment on. So if God knows the motive of our hearts, this is not a departure from accountability. It's not an excuse to do whatever you want and say, hey, you can't judge me. In fact, if you're going to choose between being judged on this plane or being judged by God, the person on this plane can't see the motives of your heart. They're probably going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You can't hide anything from God. And so verse 5 he goes on and he says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The Greek here uh, more strictly states that what will be revealed is the wishes or acts of will that come from the heart. Now, I don't know about you, that's a little bit scary because I know that my heart can be rather wicked and there's a lot of things that I uh, control, that I uh, respond to, the temptation that I avoid, uh, conversations that I attempt to shut down. If you're anything like me, it's like the word comes out and you're like, oh, I wish I could get those words back, but I can't. So I'll just insert my foot in my mouth and apologize the best I can. So it, it's literally saying here that God is going to reveal the wishes or acts of will that come from the heart. So you see, the heart is where our desires originate and it will be revealed. In fact, scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can, 
You can act as spiritual as you want. You can be as Christian as you'd like to be and polished on the outside. But when all of a sudden you leave the church and you start to pull out and someone else in this room cuts you off and you're like, and hand motions go flying up. You're like, oh, I was just worshiping still. <laughs> My hand was up, I promise. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what is your heart condition this morning? You see, we have two things happening here. We have Paul saying that God will hold us accountable as stewards of what it is that he's entrusted. He will judge us. Okay, that's the first part. The second thing that's happening is that we should be free from self-condemnation and from people-pleasing because both are heart issues. People's judgments are fallible. Only God is just. Only God is just. So why do people's criticisms and compliments matter so much? Why do they have so much weight in your life? Now I'm going to talk in the vein of others speaking either complaint or compliment. But the reality is if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I don't care what others think. I don't care what others, I would submit to you that you do care more than you're willing to admit. And that's fine. It'll be our secret. All right. But the reality is you're also subject to your own opinion of self. So even if you're saying, I don't care what others think, you have a self condemnation or a self compliment that you give yourself a pep talk. If you will, I'm not as bad as they say I am. So I'm going to talk in the context of others, but for those of you that have lower weight in what others say, consider this in the context of yourself as well. Why do people's or self criticism and compliments matter so much? Why do they have so much weight in your life? I want to submit to you that it's because their criticisms confirm our worst assumptions about ourselves and their compliments feed our belief that we can hide our wickedness. Let me say that one more time. Their criticisms confirm our worst assumptions about ourselves. And their compliments feed into our belief that we can hide our wickedness. Welcome to Centerway. <laughs> Pep talk, praise God. Go wicked people. No. You see... They're two sides of the same deceitful coin. So whether you're in the pursuit of compliments or trying to avoid criticism, you're coming to the same place of deceit because we long to be fully known. And we long to be fully loved. And when left to ourselves, we search for it on this plane. I matter, right? I'm valuable, aren't I? I'm better than I think I am, aren't I? Because you love me. Because you say I'm valuable. And so that's why we get into destructive relationships. Because we're in pursuit of something on this plane that can never happen. So we get into relationships for what we can get out of it. I'm, I'm beautiful, right? I'm important, aren't I? And so we compromise in specific areas in business even. We compromise our integrity. We compromise our convictions. Why? because we want the compliments of others. We're searching for a sense of love, a sense of belonging. But there's only one that, that really knows your wickedness, even more so than you. In fact, Paul even says, I, I'm not even sure I can judge myself because there's probably things that I'm not honest about. 
the one that knows your wickedness has declared you valuable. Isn't that incredible? The God of heaven that knows the depths of how wicked you are, knows the depths of how imperfect and how sin-filled you are, that knows the motives of your heart and the quiet closets of your life, the things that maybe even your closest friends, your spouses, that no one else's know. God of heaven says, while you were my enemy, I came for you. My, uh, my youngest is still in this amazing phase where he's young enough to care more about mom and dad's opinion than anyone else's. I know it's a short window. <laughs> but like right now, it, like if, if you say it to him, he's like, yeah, right. If I say it to him, he's like, really? Like he's getting to the place right now where he's like, wait, is that serious dad or are you joking? I, I might be damaging him. <laughs> but, but, you know, he'll just believe anything especially about himself. So he came out the other day just dressed in an absolutely ridiculous outfit, but we were staying home and relaxing. And so he said, dad, do I look all right? And I was like, dude, you look awesome. Give me five. Come on. And so he gives me five. Didn't match even close. It was absurd. He walked down to the living room and his sisters that are older were like, what are you wearing? That doesn't match. You know, and they're like freaking out. And he's like, dad says I look good. And he just walked right back. Like, boom, I don't care what you say. Why? Because my daddy says I look good. Isn't that an amazing picture? That when the God of heaven would say, listen, if you come to me as little children, is he speaking about the idea of saying, listen, stop caring about everything on this plane. Stop leaning in and trying to earn things. It's like, it's like sand going through your hands. Listen, I told you you're valuable. Walk like you're valuable. When someone says you're not worthy, be like, I don't care. My dad says I'm worthy. If only we could have the heart and mind of a child. That we could quiet down the chaos and the pressures of this world and stop, stop trying to fit our lives into the expectations of others and be free. Be free from what it is that others say and walk in who it is that God's called us to be. Have you allowed others' voices or even your own to get louder than the voice of your heavenly father? Consider the source. The people next to you, they're just, they're just as broken as you are. Your boss, your parents, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, all these people, they fall into these categories of just as broken as you, striving just as hard as you. If you would just change your perspective, consider the source, because his voice is the only one that matters. He's the owner. He's the author. The word of God says that he knew you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a hope. There's a plan for your life. God has a plan for greatness in you. And it gets kind of squashed down by the expectations of others or the expectations of self. So verse seven, he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is actually kind of an important turning point in the text. He goes from this community conversation of us and we, and he makes it singular in this verse. And he goes, you, let me ask you some questions. In the, in the Corinthian culture, it was believed that everything a person had came from someone else. 
So it's very much an honor type system where if you had status, it was because of those before you. If you had wealth, it was because of those before you. If you had opportunity, everything was a result of someone else. And what Paul is saying right here to the church in Corinth and to us is everything is owed. Everything owed. Sorry. Basically everything they had in their life was a result of someone else. So everything that we walk in today is a result of someone else. You might not see the connection yet. Our heart issues are identity issues. If you have asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, then you are a child of the living God with a hope and a future because of someone else because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, we walk, what Paul is saying right here is the truth of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't walk in this identity because of something good we have done. We walk in this identity of child of the living God because of what Jesus has done. So the, the sinless life that we could never live, the wickedness of our heart, the motives of our heart that are so often skewed, don't find freedom because of our efforts or because of our religiosity. They find freedom because of Jesus Christ living the perfect sinless life that we could not and dying the death that we deserve. It's in that freedom that we can walk now because of what Jesus has done. But our pride says, that's great news. So let me earn it. That's why we say things like, I don't know that I'm good enough to be at church. Or, we say, let me hide it. Let me hide the wickedness of my heart. Watch me perform. Watch me be super spiritual. In these windows of time, I think I can hold it together long enough in the hours of church time to convince everyone that I really am a spiritual person. Or worse yet, maybe you blame. Yeah, I've had a lot of bad church experiences and so that's why I'm not sure I can reconcile this God thing. Those Christians, they're really hypocritical, so I'm out. In verses 8 through 10, Paul just dismantles this idea of pursuit of power and status. He, Like I said, the commentaries talk about it in, as biting irony, where he just goes through and says, Oh, listen, you guys are kings already. You're awesome. You've got everything you want, don't you? And as he goes through this list of this idea of power and status that this community is just searching and leaning after, it sounds a lot like America, modern day. I'm so grateful that we live in America. I'm so grateful for the freedoms that are awarded to us and the, the things that we have for sure. I'm amazed and humbled as you go abroad. If you think you have a little, go somewhere else and realize how blessed you are. Our poorest people are wealthy compared to the world. And so we walk in so much blessing that, that we lean into this idea of more and more and status and power. And we just, we try to build it up to, to gain some form of worth. And, and Paul says, none of that matters. And he goes on in verses 11 through 13. He says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our hands, which was really distasteful in the Corinthian culture. Like they were the lower class if you had to do work with your hands. The intellectuals were like up there. 
So he's saying, listen, we work with our hands. When, when rivaled, we bless others. When persecuted, uh, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So he's saying, listen, if you're trying to like be someone in this world, then you have somehow bought into a lie that is completely contrary to the truth of the gospel. Christianity is not about earthly prosperity. I want you to understand that. Now, does that mean that if you have earthly prosperity that you're somehow contrary to what God's will? No, of course not. Like it's not a sin to have stuff. But if you are in pursuit of more, if you're in pursuit of more, if you're trying to gather, 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 it's not the heart of God to pursue earthly prosperity. It's about increased proximity to Jesus and being transformed by the truth of the gospel. Allow God to reorient your life. You see, because when we're hearing truth, because if God says you're valuable, then someone else says you're not, that's a lie. That's a lie. I think you need to, to realize it's just not a mean person. That's a lie. When you tell yourself that you're not good, and the truth of the gospel says because of what Christ has done, you are good. If you choose to believe that you are not good, that's a lie. We need to be equipped to be truth tellers because otherwise we pursue lies. And so we lean in and say, listen, I'll perform for my sense of belonging. I'll perform for worth. I, I, I will perform. I'll blame others when I can't perform. Why? Because we're struggling because of the heart and identity issue deep inside, if only we can become truth tellers, not only to ourselves, but to others. Can you imagine a community, a church, where we look at each other and we say, you're valuable. Oh no, no, I'm not. Oh no, you're beautiful. God says you're beautiful. In fact, you're so valuable that God laid down his only son and Jesus willingly came and laid aside his divinity for you. He died on a cross for you, for us, for you. That's the truth. And if you allow that truth to saturate your heart, it starts to transform you. It changes your perspective from wanting more to wanting to disperse. You see, if all of a sudden it's not about what you can gather, it becomes an opportunity to be a blessing. So I ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you took a God risk? A God risk. Like, listen, I don't know, maybe God's in this. Like, it, it, it doesn't add up. The, the only reason we would do this is because it would further the kingdom. The only reason why I would say yes to that is because it would honor God. Let's try it. When was the last time you got into a, a decision-making mode and it wasn't about the uh, acquisition of belongings or about the building of your own kingdom or establishing your own wealth or more stuff or all the things that matter on this plane that are counterintuitive to the people around you and said, you know what? I think we're going to risk this because I think God is in it. Man, I, I think there's something of life there. There's something, in fact, the outside world, the people that aren't even sure that there is a God, and maybe there's some of you in this room this morning that would not even be sure there's a God, they take notice to that. 
when all of a sudden you say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to actually take a God risk here. So we're going we're gonna to believe in you. What? That, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. But I think we have to. How would your life be different if what God thinks of you mattered more than any other more? That what God thinks of you mattered more. More than cars, more than money, more than sleep, more than a nap. I mean, we're talking big stakes. <laughs> what if what if what God thinks of you mattered more than your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. It mattered more than all of that. It mattered more than more friends, that your identity was so deeply rooted into who God says you are, that you were freed to act outside of the restraints of this plane. Just totally mismatched, looking ridiculous, walking around saying, dad says I'm good. Give me five, <laughs> I love that. I wish my kids, oh gosh, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You just want to lock them into that place where like a little kiss and, and being able to say everything's okay is good enough. When you just kiss away their pain and you could just look at them and say, you look good, man. Hair jacked up, unmatched and everything. Like, really? Give me five. Boom. Man, I think that's the heart of God to look at you and say, listen, everybody's telling you you're a hot mess, but I love you. I love you. Would you walk chin up like a child of the living God? Would you go in and fulfill the destiny that I've laid out for you? Will you stop believing the lies that others have told you and the lies you've told yourself? Oh my gosh, the lies you've told yourself. The lies I've told myself and we just, we get bound by that. It's an, it's an affront to the truth of the gospel that says you are valuable because of who Jesus is. He has a plan for you and a purpose. And so it starts with your heart motives, the hidden things, daily, daily, daily waking up and saying, all right, God, change my perspective. Because the minute you walk out the door or before you even walk out the door, if you look at the news on your iPhone or whatever type of electronic device you have that you check out in the morning, immediately there's a list, to-do list, what the world says is valuable, what they're searching for, the rat race, as we call it. It's right in your face. And so daily saying, God, would you center my heart on the things that matter? Would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? Would you allow me to be the child you've called me to be, to take risks for you, to love in the midst of criticism, to be slow to anger and quick to love, quick to forgive. It starts with that. I realize there's all different people in the room today. I realize that, that there's some of you that are, that are sold out followers of Christ and there are others of you that, that came as a skeptic this morning wondering whether or not there even is a God. But regardless of who you are and where you land on that, there's an application available to you this morning. You see, because if we just read the text and we talk about what it is that, that's said in the text and we leave this place being like, wow, then we just attended a church service. And quite honestly, I got better to do better stuff to do with my time than just come to a church service. But if we're transformed by the truth of what it is that we have encountered and we leave this place considering the application in our life, the implications are endless. And the freedom is amazing. So I want to challenge you to consider this application.
what hidden things need to be brought to light in your life? What hidden things in your life they need to be brought to light? Now maybe this morning it's a sin issue. Maybe it is, maybe it is literally a hidden sin issue. Maybe for others of you it's a pride issue. Maybe it's desiring more and just kind of being brainwashed into, if I just get more stuff, I get more stuff, I get more stuff. We're surrounded by people that are running that race and we don't, I've yet to see anybody go on television and be like, um, I've decided I have enough. Right? You got like multi-billionaires. The person that wins the lotto is going to be like, hmm, well, I still play it. Why? Because I want more. The pursuit of things on this plane don't bring fulfillment. They simply don't. And if you think they do, then you can lean into the biting irony of Paul and I'll proclaim you a king. Congratulations, you've got it all. Are you willing to lay it down? Whatever that looks like to you. And I don't pretend to know. Maybe this morning, your application is to consider the possibility that there is a God. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the beginning. And so I ask you, if there is a God, if what I have said is true, possibly, what implications are in your life? If in fact, someone did lay down their life for your sins and called you child and found you valuable, how does that change everything? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And if you, uh, if you don't want to close your eyes, you don't have to. It's just for me, it's, I got to look at the ground. If I shut my eyes, I start thinking about other stuff. So with at least every head bowed, just so you're not distracted, I want you to consider the application for you this morning. Maybe for you, it is just saying, you know what? I think it's time that I go a little bit beyond the implications and I ask Jesus to become the Lord and leader of my life. Maybe for you this morning, it's crossing that line of faith. And we don't embarrass people. We don't make you come up or anything like that. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand or look up or anything. And I just, I want you to take a moment right now, if that's you, to just ask Jesus to come and be the Lord and leader of your life. It's a prayer that's this easy. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I hear that you've died for me. You died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Become the Lord and leader of my life. The prayer's that easy. You can pray in the quietness of your mind right now. And I will say this, I want to give opportunity to have a conversation with you, but I'm not trying to manipulate you or create an environment where you kind of emotionally respond only to wonder if it was true or not. Just, if that's your application, I want to ask you to consider it this morning. For others of you, as you think about what hidden things need to be brought to light in your life, and maybe there are questions that you ask as, as you drive home today from your spouse or your family or whatever that looks like. Is it time to talk to someone? Is it time to talk to someone about the hidden things in your life? Maybe it is a sin issue. Maybe it is just pride. Maybe it's saying, listen, I'm trying to earn something that just, it goes through my fingers like sand. I don't know how to change it. Maybe it means at the conclusion of this morning's service, you come up and, and pray with one of us. We'd love that. For others of you this morning, maybe the application is to pray about a God risk. Like, hey, what if, what if God's asking us to do this? 
Is it possible that we should risk that? I don't know what it is, but I know the text requires something from us. There's application to be had this morning. So in just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna respond through worship. You'll see some people raise their hands just as a symbol of, of surrender. Same way that a child just runs up to their father and lifts up their hands, say, would you pick me up? I want to challenge you to, to maybe open your heart and mind to the reality that God is worthy of our praise because of that which he has done. We walk in freedom and identity because of who God is. If you would just stand to me and stand with me. I'll lead us in a prayer as we go into worship. Lord, I thank you that we can be free of trying to earn and find value in the things of this world, that we can just rest in the fact that you say we're valuable, that that which you have done is an indicator of your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. We're so thankful. And so we worship you for that. We worship you because of who you are. You are great. Let's worship the